to Tales of the Valley. Some people have a talent gift that is undeniable, but also takes hard work, sacrifice and determination. My guest today is one of those people, Tracy Yarrod. From practicing in B-Block Tarry High School through lunch times, to sharing the stage in studios with Grammy winners in New York City. Sadly, Tracy's most recent visit to the Valley was her, for her father's funeral. Before returning home to her life in the US, she reflected on her early days in Tari and began with the influence of her late father, John Yarrod. Good morning, Tracy. Good morning. Um, I'm here this morning with Tracy Yarrod. And sadly, Tracy, you're home for your father's funeral. It was a bastion yeah. of Tari. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a it's a very strange time to be sitting doing an interview about being a valley girl. Yes. When yes. I've come from the king of the valley. That's exactly. how it feels. It would do, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah, he feels like a king to me. Well, he was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mm. how many years was he in business? Uh, well... I think he went into the shop when he was about 14. And, and he was 89, wasn't he? He was 86. 86. Um, I mean, he was, he'd retired. Uh, they retired in, I think, about 90, uh, 2007, I think, they retired, Dad and his brother Bruce. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but he was still really, he still wanted to know everything that was going on. Yeah, of course. You know, so even though he was retired, he still had to go in there every day and check on things. Oh, every day? Every day. Every day. You could ask my sister that. <laughs> she could say. <laughs> he actually told um, um, my sister's hairdresser, who's around the corner, that every day when he goes into the, to the shop to visit Joanne, he's going in to annoy Joanne. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think it was every day. <laughs> right. So it was still that overarching view of yeah. what was going on. And, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he was still thinking all the time about what to do with the businesses. You know, that never stopped, that creative uh -huh. thinking thing of just what can we do next or how can you make this better or what's happening with the shop? You know, he was still... He's, was, so he still had that drive. Yeah, and yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, he still wanted to know and put his ideas on the table as well. Yeah, I think he'll be... I think they will really miss him because he was a, a, such a business mentor. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Not just for Yarrods, but I think for the whole community as yeah. well. Yeah, absolutely. The things I've heard, I actually, there's some uh, someone going into a, a little shop that the family own in Pulteney Street, and um, I don't, I don't know the guy, but there was a carpenter on the street the other day working outside, making a garden, a flower box to put outside this new shop that they're putting in there. And he was working away and he went and my sister came out and he recognised her. Oh, you're Mr Yarrod's daughters. Oh, it's really sad. Mr Yarrod's died. And um, we said, yeah, we're his daughters. And, and he said, his words were, he was a dead set legend. <laughs> 
a dead set legend. And this, I mean, he must have been well, a, a young guy in his 30s doing some carpentry work and he said he had met Dad and he he said I'd actually been out to his home and I'd hung up his um, fishing rods and his um, trophy fishes oh, and things yeah. on the wall. He said he got me to come out and do it. And he said, and then... Uh, he used to talk to me and invite me there for dinner. I had no clue who this guy was, you know. <laughs> He's like, he called him a dead set legend. Those were his, those were his exact words. I thought that's, that's classic. That's just such an, a wonderful tribute, really, isn't it? Yeah. It such an unexpected Yeah, it was, really, it was actually really nice. You know, it felt yeah. really nice just to hear that from a random... And a younger, you know, much younger yeah, person yep, as well. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You know, he was so still... he still had that... Yeah. ...ageless sort he of... He did. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. And he always did, yeah. Yeah. Because well, he wouldn't have even known him while he was in business or really. No. 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 It was just that legend of a man. Yeah. yeah. Dead set legend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. I know, yeah. Um, so you're living in New York now? I am. I'm... I'm transitioning to New York, right. but it looks like I'll be living there. I've spent more time there in the last two years than I have here in Australia. Yeah, I've been coming and going. Mm. So why New York, Tracy? So it was a place in the world that I'd never been before. That was, as a musician, it's a mecca. It's a place you want to reach and mm. maybe experience. Um, I never thought I'd live there. Um but life didn't take me there before now. Um, I almost went there in 1984. I had a ticket to New York. Oh, you actually had the ticket? I in had your a hands? ticket, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a funny story to go back to. I was engaged. It might have been 1986. It was 86. I was engaged to a fashion photographer who oh. was from the Northern Beaches in Sydney. Mm-hmm. And he got a job with New York Vogue. So he was living in the East Village in New York in in the 80s and he'd come backwards and forwards to the beaches and we met and fell in love and got engaged and he went back and I was to move there to be with him and I sold everything. I left my job, I sold my car, I had a little place that I was renting with my girlfriend at Palm Beach and I she rented my room and so it was like I was leaving in four days wow. and the phone rang and he broke up with me over the phone <gasps> and, <laughs> and so I didn't go I, I wasn't meant to go until At that time until now and I I went this time because of a breakup oh that's interesting yeah, yeah. because I felt like so I needed to do something for a breakup and this time you did yeah I lie it's all about breaking up and finding something or something well, you know changes changes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. The, and different paths small tragedies exactly you know? small tragedies yeah. yeah and how yeah. we deal with them so I thought it was actually my sister talked me into it that hairdresser around the corner and my sister were going on a trip to New York and they said stop crying and buy a ticket <laughs> they said to me and come with us come with us Come with us. So I did. I actually did a, a bigger trip than just that. I did a, I did a solo trip. It was the first solo trip after being married for 22 years, and it was really scary. I'm like, oh my god, I'm going to New- I'm going to um, Canada. So I took off to Canada, and then I ended up in New York to meet my sister. And it was just a four day, I think, 
but during that time um, I'd always wanted to go because of the music scene and I didn't I knew one person there a musician who is a guitarist who was in my band in Sydney in the 80s and he actually introduced me to that husband that I had just broken up with. Oh, so that's he, a, another full circle. Yeah, it was a full yeah. circle. He had brought him into our band when our drummer left. He brought this ex-husband of mine in. So I met, so I knew this guy, but he'd left and he was living in New York for 25 years. He plays with Sting. He's wow. had an incredible career there. And so I called him. So if him. you're going to drop into the music scene in New yeah. York, that's a good <laughs> way to do it. I know, amazing. So. Yeah. I thought, oh, well, I haven't seen him for years. Ben Butler is his name. Um, he was living there because his father was at the UN. He was the arms minister at the UN okay. for a long time. So he had, you know, special privileges over there, I think. Anyway, so Ben said, yeah, I'll meet you and we'll go out. So we met and he took me to all these amazing little clubs that I don't think you would find if you... If you weren't with a local or yeah, someone who was in that scene. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, I don't know, I just felt like, I felt like a child. I felt like a little girl at, at the festival, at the aquatic festival yes. for the first time. Yes. I was like, oh, what have I been doing? I knew I had to come here. It was so much fun. So um, I went back. So you had that excitement when, like when you were a little child. Yeah, like, I where felt do I like, start? What do oh, I do? my God, oh, my God, Ben, what have I been doing? He's like, I don't know. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God. It was just... It was like, like a kid in a candy shop. Yeah, yeah. I, it was really like that. I just felt charged with some kind of, you know, um, free energy that I had to follow through. So I, I went back. So that was 216. So from 216 till now, I think I've made 10 trips oh, to wow. New York. Yeah, which is not, not good because I, I do care about the environment. Don't take that the wrong way. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, sitting on those jet planes... Ten times and about um, halfway through 17, um, I hired an immigration lawyer in New York to see if I could get some kind of a working visa. Mm. And I did it as, a, as an exercise purely. I, I thought, I'll see. What have you got to lose? I'll just see. Some Do money? I qualify? Do I? You know, yeah. and it was a big job. And so I thought, how did you qualify? Because I know getting a green card... Um, it's really difficult. I've got what's called an O-1 visa, which is an, um, it means um, an alien with extraordinary abilities. <laughs> That's what it says on the, on the visa. You would have to frame that somewhere. <laughs> it's, on the visa. it's in my bag, actually, because I've got my passport in my bag. But um, so it, it was difficult. I had to, there, there's certain criteria, obviously. So you, you've got to have a, a uni degree. It doesn't have to be in music or or the arts, it's just having a degree from university. Um, and then you need to have six, at this point, it was like, I think it's changed now, you needed to have six letters of recommendation from people who are um, who are honoured in their professions. Okay, so, so it's not just some random off the street. No, or, no. it had to be um, people who are highly regarded or who have won awards oh. that would write you a letter of recommendation to say that you are an extraordinary whatever you are. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I don't know how I managed to find that. It was over the years of working with different people that, and I 
I had to contact people out so of the blue. American and, people, or um, some of them were. They didn't Australian have to be well. American. Oh, they didn't have to. They be. could be from anywhere in the world. Right. So, of course, I knew I knew a lot of musicians who have you know been honoured and won Grammys and arias and professors at different un- universities uh-huh. and stuff. So they all agreed to write me the letters. <laughs> That's just a sound effect there we've got. Pause. Um, So they all agreed to write the letters and then I had to have three offers of work. Oh, okay. Yeah, in writing. So I I managed to get that from people that I'd met that were living in the States. One was a friend from Sydney who's now based in Nashville that's a producer, you know, and and one was was a bass player that used to play with Jimi Hendrix. (laughs) Really? (laughs) That I met through a woman from Foster. Donna Rankin. Yes. Yep. Yes. Donna Rankin introduced me to him because he had mentored her daughter Holly. Right. Um, uh, yeah. So she, anyway, and he, he said he'd write me one. And, and since, since him writing me one, I have written a few tunes with him. He's a real character. He's an American Indian guy. So, you know, it was interesting, the process of finding these people mm. that were would actually speak up for you on a piece of paper and sign it. So I got all of that together. It took maybe it took six months to get it all together and the lawyers apply and they organise it and I got it. And I kind of couldn't believe it. I no, just that's thought, a pretty uh, amazing thing to get. Yeah. yeah. It's a three-year working visa, which mm. apparently if you are there working and you start paying taxes, then it's it's something that's extendable and... Yeah, I can apply so for a green card. So that you're not just there yeah. freeloading. On so them. I figured I should be very um, grateful that I got that and spend some time there, mm. get my ass back over there and actually look for real work and, and integrate into that, um, into that community. So what part of New York are you living in? Um, I'm in Brooklyn, which mm-hmm. is huge. It's actually the biggest borough in that area. So it's huge, huge. And I'm not far, I'm about 30 minutes from Manhattan. I'm in, um, it's called Clinton Hill. And it's very, um, it's not, it's not upmarket at all. It's one, it's, <laughs> it's, I'm living in a. I so live is in, it one of those tiny little New York apartments? No, no, there? actually I live in a warehouse apartment, which is two bedrooms. It's got two floors, huge high ceilings, but there's not much light in there. Um, and we have a downstairs area that's a studio. Um, the guy I live with has a massive grand piano. So a recording studio? He has a recording studio, wow. big grand piano. And and the rent is quite reasonable because it's not in Manhattan. And it's in a block um, of where this these warehouses take up both sides of the road. And almost every resident is a musician or an artist Oh, it's a really so incredible community within itself. Community. Yeah, it's amazing. The people I've met that just live in that building. Wow. Yeah, you cannot leave the building. <laughs> but you can just stay in there and play yeah, music yeah. and be perfectly happy. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a really... Um, so that was one of the questions I was going to ask, how to immerse yourself in the music scene in mm. a what, city of 8 million people. Yeah. So, But it sounds like you've done that quite well. Well, it was... It's, the thing about New York for me was how easy it is to meet people that 
I never thought I would meet. Really? Like the guy I live with is a Grammy Award-winning um, flamenco-Spanish jazz pianist. Wow. And he was one of my mentors. I followed his career um, for many years and I owned all of his albums. I used to sit and transcribe music and, and just sit there in awe of him and think, wow, he's amazing. I'd love to play like this. I've never heard anything like it. Wish he'd come to Australia. I'll never meet this man, you know, because he'd never come. And I, when I did trips to Europe, I'd always miss him. He'd not be playing where I was. So one of those trips to New York, he was playing. And I went, oh, I got so excited again, like full of like, oh, my God. His name's Chano Dominguez. So he was playing, so I went, and the, the gig is tiny, and this is what can happen in New York. You go into these little bars, and there'll be someone who's maybe a sideman for someone like Sting or Michael Bublé, and you'll see them here in the Sydney Opera House, but you'd never be able to just hang out and have a beer with them because mm. you can't get near them because that's how it is here. But there you'll see these incredible... Because it's more of a concert here. Yeah, it's a where concert. Where it's just a little mm. bar and they're just playing for pure yeah. joy. And then they, yeah, they're standing at yeah. the bar having a beer in their break. And So after Chano finished his set, I was sitting right in front of him. So I stood up and shook his hand and told him who I was and just what I told you about, about him. And he handed me his business card and he said, he said, oh, send me, a, send me an email. I'd really like to hear... Uh, the song that you transcribed of mine so I sent him that um, and then we got talking via email and I wanted to um, have some master classes with him so I started going to his apartment and having master classes and what you can learn you know because I'm a music teacher as well and I was running a music school back here in Australia at that time what I could learn in one hour was like it was like a year's worth of information of learning with someone from once a week. It was just incredible. Every cent I spent doing that was so worth it. Anyway, so after a couple of visits, I went and had a masterclass with him each time. We started to become friends. And then mm -hmm. if he was having dinner at his home, he'd say, come, I want you to meet some of my friends. And he started to connect me with people. So that just sort of expanded. Yeah. Like yeah, he started yeah. to connect. And then... And then he said, um, I tour in Spain all the time. If you want to mind my apartment, you could come. And I went, oh, okay. So I started going back and, you know, it was like that. And then in the end he said, why don't you just don't move out? Let's just live together. <laughs> so we're perfect roommates because we are there together sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely incredible. I get like... My whole body tingles when he's rehearsing. He's just, wow. The most incredible musicians walk through my door and everyone knows me and I have met so many people through him mm -hmm. yeah, and he's just a joyous person. He's just got a great, you know, outlook on life and, I don't know, and we're mates. I be, we became best mates. <laughs> it's like, it was like a dream. So, a, yeah. so, you know, he's had a play. So you can meet part. your idols and you can... Yes, yeah. and in my case, in this case... He was a great person. Yeah. He was a, absolutely, he is an amazing person, you know. He's, and to be immersed in that sort of music yeah. all the And time to be, be able amazing. to observe how yes. somebody works. I mean, this is a guy. So a, a different discipline to yours or um, slightly different? Well, it's, it's a really different 
it's not a different discipline in a way, but it's a different uh, life choice. In Australia, I found that living as a musician, it was really hard to find enough projects that would bring in enough money. So I was always having to diversify from the performing musician. Mm -hmm. And so I spent a lot of time teaching and I built a music school in the Blue Mountains and um, bought property and renovated houses and did lots of things that took me away from... So it took you away from the music? Yeah, from, from my art. total dedication to being yeah. a musician, whereas someone like Chana and many musicians I've met in New York, they do not sacrifice their art for anything. They live it. They live it every minute of the day. Mm -hmm. So this, this man is continually working on projects with different people from all over the world. I mean, he's not making one album a year. He's making six albums some oh, years, wow. you know, with different people. Different he's collaborating people. with a blues guitarist from L.A., um, a, a jazz flautist from Tel Aviv. And, they're, they're, you know, they're in and out of the house, you know, a, a flamenco singer that comes, a, a dancer. Um, you know, he's just got all of these combinations of music going on all the time. The output is prolific. And I, mm -hmm. I say to him, I cannot believe the energy and the output and how productive you are. And he's, he's the same age as me, and his answer is, oh, Tracy, you should have seen me when I was in my 20s. <laughs> this is nothing. You know, so it's like, it's, it's, a total, it's a total living, that life. There's no, there's no being a gardener on the side. or mm. And having um, to supplement that in, no. income because you can't mm. make a living out of music. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure he, he may be a, a different case to not every musician has a life like that in New York. Mm. He has, you know, won Grammy Awards and he is really famous in Spain, so he can make a really de decent living from his music. But, you know, it's still a similar situation to Sydney where, as you mentioned before, they'll be working for next to nothing. You do go in these little clubs and you'll see the uh, bar person come out with a tin and you've got to put tips in the tin and that's all they're earning. Mm. I mean, and this is somebody who is a sideman to Sting or whoever it is, you know. Yeah. These musicians that are at the top of their game, you know, are, you know they'll still work for 100 bucks or, or less because it's, it's about playing. It's playing. Yeah. yeah, it's about playing. Yeah. So that's been amazing just to be immersed in that for me. Can you remember the first time that music became important to you, or that you realised yeah. that music oh my God, was a yeah. part of your life? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it was it was all around the house when I was a baby because Dad played the drums. Oh, okay. And he, and Mum played the piano, but Dad had a band, and these guys used to come to the house and rehearse, and it was jazz. And Dad loved Glenn Miller, and he loved Sergio Mendes, and. All sorts of stuff. Ah, oh, take five, you know, what's his name? Dave Brubeck. He Dave loved Brubeck. all that. And it was all in the house all the time. So that was, it was like flowing through my psyche. But at four and a half years old, I went to the convent in Tari with my sister, who's four years older than me. She was having piano lessons. And one afternoon, I had to go with her because mum couldn't 
mind me or whatever. Yeah. So it was a she can go and sit. She yeah. can go and sit and colour in. So I was sitting. I remember this is my only one of my only childhood memories. I can remember it clearly. I sat there playing with the pencils, and then when we went home, I got on the piano and I played my sister's lesson. Really. And Mum went, oh, and what's that? And I went, oh, what Joanne was that? You know, so I, I remember that so clearly. It was like something came through me and so connected me. Yeah, yeah, it connected me back to this thing that I was, you know, meant to, I remember that just, you know, I felt like it was a part of me, like mm -hmm. a part of my soul soul like oh i me i am meant to do this and i felt that my whole life really strongly so you always knew you wanted to be a musician I there wasn't any always knew from yeah. then i mean you know i used to come out dressed up singing and dancing whenever visitors came over and i always wanted to perform and so putting um, on concerts little shows yeah always so did you have piano lessons then after then that? then yeah then mum and dad the sent me to the same teacher and I had lessons straight away at that age. So, you know. It so just, they obviously recognised something in you? Yeah, they could time. see. I, they, I think they were probably a little bit freaked out. Like, oh. Did your sister continue with piano lessons? She did right through school, mm -hmm. right through. She, she played. She was an incredible piano player. She oh, still is, but she is. just doesn't sit at it. <laughs> She's got the most gorgeous piano in her house. And she played all the time when we were growing up and we had to have different composers because there was always rivalry between <laughs> us. She loved Chopin ah. and I was not allowed to play any Chopin, so oh. I played Bach. <laughs> it's still the same. If I am practising a Chopin piece in her presence, she'll go, oh. <laughs> so she'll still pick Get up, up on it? let me play that. <laughs> yes, she does actually. It's a good ploy to get her playing. Yes, I could go in and might do that when I get back to her place today. <laughs> Sit down and play one of those Chopin pieces badly so she can come and show me how it's done. Because she just had a, a, a natural ability as well. But she just didn't, she didn't go down that path. So she didn't have that draw to it? No. I think it's like, I, because I've taught so many kids, you see, you can see it in their whole makeup as a human whether they have to play it's like um it's like being hungry and you've got to eat mm -hmm. that's how it is you can see it in in kids when they come and learn you know, this this kid this kid has has an affiliation this kid has a relationship with the instrument this kid can't survive without it and that's how it felt and for it's, me it's as basic is that it's yeah. like they have to do it yeah yeah so for me it was like that I felt like I'm this is this is me this is me this is me you know I was sure I was a musician in a past life if there's such a thing mm -hmm. you know and that that at that four-year-old moment that other me was going oh you've connected me back to the source and so then as a kid it wouldn't have been practicing practice I have to practice it, you were playing because you wanted to play and you had to play I, there was an element of that, but I also got into the Australian system of exams and 
uh -huh. Steadfords, and you, I definitely had to practice. But it was not a chore. To be technically, yeah, the way they wanted you to be. Practicing was correct. never a chore for me. No. I couldn't wait to sit down at the piano and play scales, and I still do. You know, I, if I miss three days at the piano, which I just have because I've been at the Gold Coast, I feel like a drug addict. Like there is something missing. Yeah, yeah. there's something missing. I haven't played, and I still. So you need that fix. Basically. I have to have it. Have to have it, yeah. <laughs> but to have that passion must be wonderful. Oh, it is. It, it, Although it, it, I can imagine at times it would tear you as well because if you can't do it and you have to supplement incomes and do all those other sorts of things. Yeah, you can be soul-destroying. I mean, that, that, happened, that happened in my marriage a bit too because I think that two creative people having to make ends meet other ways stopped you from being the authentic person that person you were that really and are. doing something else and it takes away an element of happiness so and probably there's some would be some forms of resentment and yeah absolutely things around it and so after school you went to the conservatorium I went to the Sydney conservatorium dad dad did not want me to do that oh really yeah he I think that whole Lebanese family thing, they really like to keep you around mm -hmm. and be a part of what they've created, um, which was amazing what they created. Which is a pretty amazing dynasty, yeah, really. Yeah, it is. And my dad gave me an ultimatum. I used to like riding horses. And I had a horse when I was between about 12 and 16. And he said at 16... Um, so he gave me two ultimatums. The one at 16 was, you need to choose now piano or horse riding because you can't do both. Now, how incredible is that? As a teacher, I have seen kids getting shuffled around from soccer to the music lesson to the dance class to the ta uh, taekwondo to, you know, the swimming to the, like, the parents give kids so much to do. Anyway, now, sorry, I went off track. Now but they do. Now yeah. it's insane. And you're like, oh, and they go, oh, we're going to drop out of music. They drop out after a year because they're always too busy. I'm like, oh. Anyway, my father had the foresight to say, probably mum and dad discussed it together, choose one or the other because if you want to be good at, you need to put all your energy in that place. And so I chose music at that point. And we sold my horse and all of these, you know, it was quite, quite a big decision to oh. make. Um, and then at um, 17 when school was, I was doing my HSC um, in that year, I really wanted to take music as a career and I'd been to Sydney and done camps, music camps and been involved in things and met people and got excited by that, collaborating with other people. You know, music is about that really, hmm. being with other like-minded people. And he said in that last year of school, he said, you're not moving to Sydney. My older sister didn't. She stayed here and took, you know, took a role in the business. And he said, you're going to do what your sister's done. You're going to stay here. And he said, I will not pay for you to go and have a life as a musician and study music. He said, you can only go if you get a scholarship. Wow. Yeah. He said, because I don't want you to leave. So it was... Poor dad, it had the opposite. It had the effect on me of, well, I'm going to get a scholarship. 
So it spurred you on in it another way. spurred me on and I just used to – I had no friends at school. I used to practice all through the lunch hour and the recess. I can recess actually remember and... you sitting up in B block oh, practicing, practicing, practicing. <laughs> it was like it was like having a free concert, Tracy. It wasn't a bad thing. a witness. So that's what happened and I got mm. the scholarship and um, poor dad, my sister got married that year and I moved to Sydney and <gasps> went to the conservatorium. I spent seven, so you, you seven years. you worked hard then. enough to get the scholarship. Yeah, yeah. So that spurred you on in a different yeah, way, Yeah, I got it? a vocal scholarship with um, Elizabeth Todd who was a really highly respected teacher and AMEB examiner and she was teaching at the conservatorium. She gave me a... A vocal scholarship to study leader, German song. Oh, yeah. Okay. It was something I loved doing. Oh, did I, I sang as well as playing the piano. Yeah. Yeah. So I used to love it, and um, an examiner came up here one year to Tari and um, asked Mum and Dad, "Could I could I join the Conservatorium High School?" Because he wanted to develop my skill as a lead singer. But of course, I was sixteen then, and there would be no way that they would have let me I go. I do remember at that you point. in the lead in Mikado. Yes, I was. Yes. Yeah, yum yum. Yum yum. That's <laughs> what it was. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so so that style, that German art song. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but I absolutely like felt some connection to that music. Wow. I still do. German's actually my best other language that I speak. <laughs> so. It might have been the Bach thing, like having really being into German composers and this. yeah, because Lieder seems quite a odd. Mm. Yeah, I couldn't even imagine where the connection would be. Well, I did it. I was there doing mm. it with Elizabeth Todd and studying it, and then I joined a rock and roll band and started singing Tina Turner <laughs> <laughs> in English. <laughs> so, at the conservatory, do they allow you to? pursue the type of music that you want to pursue um no it was fairly it was focused it was totally focused focused? yep on more classical more exactly what you had chosen to do there because they had the jazz course there but i i never studied jazz at the conservatorium in fact i never have studied jazz it's just something i've allowed just in your soul i've just just allowed myself to you know feel like i can move away from um the written form and Mm -hmm. yeah but yeah, so no, I was I studied the course as as it was. I studied to be a high school music teacher at first at the Sydney Conservatorium, and then moved into um, the opera school for a little while, um, and then I went back to teaching. And when I finally finished, I had a diploma of music education from Sydney Con. But you know, I couldn't get away from it. It was like, I think when you're that young, when you're seventeen and eighteen. You go off to try and work out what you're going to do. It takes a little while. Well, and especially coming from Tari and then to Sydney, like the wide world. Yeah, with none absolutely. Of, with not much of that parental control or... Yeah. 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 So the world really is your oyster. I was living with it. an aunt and uncle out at Clareville, mm-hmm. a Lebanese dad's, dad's uncle actually, and um, my cousins, and that was, that was great. It was really... Fantastic, but I still had that sense of family there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that security. Yeah, for you. Yeah, still had really good food. <laughs> That's important. Yeah, it's important to feed that soul. Really good. Better so the next thing that I know is bad habits with Billy Field. Oh yeah. Yeah. So how yeah, did and that, that was about at that time too. Um, 
about? I think um, that was that was just the Sydney scene. Um, that was, I think, what year was that? Eighty. I think eighty-one. Eighty-one. About yeah. 81. So I was at the conservatorium then studying, and I that it was a really odd thing. I knew the people that were filming the video clip. Right. We hung out. That so, everyone saw on Countdown? Yes. Yes. I knew the people that were filming and and this is a funny story because I probably shouldn't mention the name but a very, very famous model who is not from Tari but she was very famous in, that, in those years was hired to play the piano part in the video. Now that was a video so it was about miming. It wasn't the recording. Right. of the tune it was the video clip so they they had all these people came in musicians trumpet players drummers and a lot of them were miming oh so they weren't the real musicians no in the because clip. It, it was right. it was yeah. the filming of the video clip so it, it was the recorded track was playing so he billy fields had hired this most incredibly glamorous model to be the piano player um in the clip and he had Paradise Studios in the city then. And everyone was doing what they do best in those days. And this model um, made herself uh, incapable of standing <laughs> and sitting at the piano. Right. And miming. And miming the parts correctly. And these people that were filming it were like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? And it was about 11 p.m., at night and the phone rang and it was, it was, um, I can't remember her name. Anyway, the, the film producer on the phone and she said, what are you doing? I went, I'm in bed. And she said, can you come to Paradise Studios? And um, do you have, what, what clothing have you got? And I'm like, what, what's this for? She's going, it's a filming of a film clip with Billy Fields and it's a new single and, and, and the model's, rendered herself incapable of playing the part and you're going to be better anyway because you'll actually be able to play it and so that's how it happened and she said and you need to bring those black plastic pants of yours <laughs> and and a white renaissance shirt you know she knew what clothes I had in my wardrobe <laughs> Pam Levy that was her name so off I went in my little car to Paradise Studios and I was there till 6am and 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 the piece of music was was beautiful, and I instantly learnt it because to me it was a really easy little jazz piece compared to all the stuff I played at the con. It was like, oh, this is a piece of cake. So I sat there playing it and learnt it, and and, and so was Billy Field there at the time. He was there, yeah, yeah. Walking yeah. high, I'm Tracy. Billy, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was there, and take over from the and um, he want, he said um, um, he he quoted not long ago, maybe it was about ten years ago, because an aunt of mine. Mum's sister heard it on the ABC radio. He was being interviewed, and they asked him about because that was his biggest hit, I think. They asked him about doing that and what was how great the clip was and all of that stuff. And he mentioned me. He said the girl, her name was Tracy Yarrod, who played the piano had had an innate sense of timing, and she could play that piece. And I really, it was I felt really lucky to have her there on the night. Now that was coming from him with you know like 30 years later or something wow. which was really nice yeah so and I have met him since actually two years ago 
I work a lot with Tony Mitchell from Sherbet, the bass player. Oh, really? Yeah, he was in my trio for years. And Tony was working with Billy weekly in a club in Sydney. Mm -hmm. And he said, Billy wants to see you. Billy wants to see you. You've got to come down. So I was... I happened to be in the mountains and I went to one of the gigs and we played together. We did a few songs together. It was really cool. And it was really sad because he's, I don't know if he's got nodules or something, but his voice was, oh. yeah, he's finding it really hard to sing. I was like, wow. But it was so nice to, you know, hook up again. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, it was so a that's funny an amazing thing to story. do. I mean, that's yeah. a real piece of luck, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It was one of those. Because it was a huge hit. Yeah. And, I mean, everyone knew it and the video and... Yeah. And I met heaps of people. From, did you yeah. tour with him? With no. That? No? No. No, I didn't tour with him. No. No. Just did a couple of things, like a um, couple of shows. There was, an, there was an album launch, big party thing. Mm -hmm. Just around that time. Yeah. I think I went on to... I was doing lots of different things at that time. And I was just getting married to my first husband as well in that year, 81. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> so you must have seen some good changes in the music industry in that time or not? God, it's been, it's been sort of insane, the changes in the music industry, because yeah. I grew up in the in the 80s where a musician had to be on the road to earn their stripes and you got really good at it. Because you were playing and playing. You had to play, playing. yeah, we're in Turagos all the time, travelling around, supporting bigger name acts or playing with bigger name acts and that was how you, you know, that was you how you learned. Yeah. Um, and I suppose not only did you learn music, but you learned the music business as yeah, well yeah. at that time. Yep, you learned yeah. the business, you were on the road, you just had to, you know, living in and out, living in a motel room and it's really changed. It's really, really, really changed. Like, well, I think Australia was an, an, uh, an exception to the rule to other countries as well because Australia had a huge road touring scene so that pub scene up and down the east coast yeah yeah i mean a lot of bands i mean even taree when you think about it in the yes. 80s i mean yeah. we would have bands three or four nights a week yeah there was a couple of venues. venues going on here yeah. that were happening and you know and then of course um and it was and it was an amazing time and i think it built musician skills as well you had to it hardened you mm. to be on stage and, you know, you Because I suppose so in those small pubs as well, when you're that close and intimate to an yeah, audience, yeah. like if you don't have the skills, yeah. the audience quickly, I could imagine, would quickly turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the audience can, you know, it's like when, when the road, there's a road that's no longer used by the main highways and, and you know, it, very quickly the nature takes back over. Mm. The audience were kind of like that. <laughs> They could kind of grow into your keyboard and like start to, you know, <laughs> hang off your microphone and stuff if you didn't know how to handle them. So, you, you know, you'd learnt the rules of the road. Um, and, of course, that changed in the early 90s with the poker machine lords, mm -hmm. bringing pokies into all of those little clubs. It completely wiped out the music. The music. And then the, the music 
um, what was the next thing? The next thing was like people didn't want to go out anymore because home entertainment became huge. Mm. You know, I think like even when videos, people had video players at home. Oh, of course, yeah. The video thing. That and was all new, wasn't it? They could watch a movie. Yeah, we could, yeah. don't even have to go to the movies, let alone to go out and see a band. So that changed. And then, of course, this whole digital thing and we went from vinyl to... Oh, God, I'm old. We went from vinyl to CD to MP3 to, to just to downloads. And, I mean, every time it did that, it lost more quality and anybody could make an album. Anyone. Anyone could make themselves famous. Mm. And it just it changed. Mm. It changed. Oh, yeah. So yeah. that must be nice, like, seeing that, but in the music scene that you're in now in New mm. York where you're playing mm. and it's still small clubs and, mm. you know, that must be, you know, really refreshing and... It is. That it's still there. Because there's a healthy competitiveness in... live music? People do. There's a scene there. Absolutely. People go out, you know, such a big city. Um, you can go, though, um, some nights and be sitting in the in the presence of an absolute demigod musician <laughs> and there's six people in the audience. Mm. So, you know, and you can experience that as well. But there's a, a super healthy competition amongst musicians there that's not here um, because it's a much bigger pool and the level of skill of players there is inspiring. And there's a humility so would, amongst it where they... Does that push up your skills as well? Absolutely. Yeah. It just makes so you... So it makes you strive. Well, for me it does. It makes me just feel like, well, wow, this is just awesome. Yeah. I love it. And I'm just going to... It makes you work your own music with more conviction. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel. I feel like, no, mate. Whereas here I might feel like, oh, what I'm doing is just so ordinary or whatever. And then I think, no, it isn't. When I'm there, I'm like, no, play it like you mean it. Because everyone there is, when you go and see me, well, the music I've seen there, I'm sure there's things that are, you know, below par and there's people of all different levels. But the music I've seen, people get up and lose themselves completely in the music and you just, you just go, wow whatever they're doing, it's just, I don't know, there's a different driver there. It's not like here. So do you, do you think it's the American culture or I think that would be um, a hard thing to put I a think I on? can't say that about New York because it's not, Cause it's a not really America. No. I, think it's, I, mean, I think it's because it's the jazz it's not only the jazz mecca, but it's a place where people can innovate. It's a place where people can try things. Without being judged or without... Well, it's a place where you can find out whether it's any good or not. You very quickly find out you can do anything there. Mm -hmm. You know, compared to Sydney scene, you wouldn't see so much... Um, originality in, right. in music. I mean, I'm sorry, Sydney musicians and great friends I've got here. Yeah. You, because we are original and we do have our own thing going on, but there you can really trial wild things. So bigger pool too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's just a... 
I mean, everything comes out. I mean, the punk music scene, it comes out of there. It's a place where things are born. Mm. Things are born there. And that's, I think that's what I feel like. I've been reborn there. So do you record originals music? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've been recording just the last trip there um, a couple of months ago. I've been working in my house, in my studio with That's incredible. Chana recording things. And, and, and I can call on anybody I want, any amazing player I want. I've done some gigs there where I've just called. I wanted a sax player, so I called up this guy I know called Anibal Rojas. He's a Chilean sax player who works with Blood, Sweat and Tears. Oh. And he's just a great player. He just nails it. And I'm like, I want him. So, I, you know, you can just ask and these happens. people. And they go, yeah, sure. Because, again, they want to play. They want to play. Mm. If they like the music, I mean, yeah. they're probably not going to just play with anyone. anyone There's, yeah. It's probably going to be a few um, rules for them to decide who they're going to play with. There is, a, there is a little formula there. They say, or most musicians I speak to, they say, You've got to have two out of three categories met before you can take the gig. You like the people that you're playing mm -hmm. with. Um, you really dig the music. So you dig the music and there's not much money in it. You like the people and there's not much money in it. Or the money's really bloody good. So you've got to have two of the two three. Of the, oh, okay. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> to take <Yeah>. the gig. Yeah. <laughs> And that's kind of the protocol that a lot of players work on. But you can, it's amazing, the pool of people you can... You can draw from. You can draw from and they'll come and work with you and input into your music and, mm. you know, it's, it's just a wonderful world of developing your music and you still just, for someone like me, I'm not doing it to make a whole lot of money out of it or to get any notoriety. It's just... A basic drive that's still in there that doesn't go away. Where you go, no, I have to do this. Have but to wow, do what a wonderful place to do it. Yeah. Now this will be a random question. Do you see music in colour? Ah, uh, that is a random question. Yeah. I I don't do know. You if can you see music? I I, I can definitely see it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I relate it. I don't relate it to colours. Colour, right. I think for me, I can see I can see movement. Like I could, I can see music more. Like if I'm, I'm closing my eyes while I'm saying mm -hmm. this, because when I do not look at music when I'm present at a live gig and I've got my eyes closed, I can see movement. Wow. I see, I see graph. You know, I see. Um, so there is something changing yeah, and yeah. moving. I see flow. Wow. Okay. Maybe not color. I can't answer it quickly as a color question, no. but I do know where you're, where you're, what you're getting at with seeing color, because some some people really do relate music with color, and there's all kinds of therapies around that as well, mm. with music and color. But no, I, I, just, I just sense this sort of movement. It's almost like when you shut your eyes tight and you see those, like, galaxies. Mm -hmm. It's like that. Oh, music, okay. yeah. The other thing you're doing, um, you're photographing musicians? Yes. Yeah. I, I don't know how... Oh, I do know how that came about. I, 
I liked photography, but I wasn't. A, I'm not a photographer by trade, but I always I've liked seen it. Some of the photos, Tracy, they're pretty cool. <laughs> the the new ones are. are good. I've actually just photographed my roommate Chana Dominguez with the flute player from Tel Aviv for their for their album, and they're using the shots. Oh wow! And I'm sort of quite honoured. In fact, I I cried when they said they were actually using them. I'm like, oh, they're using my photos. How bizarre! I'm in New York and all of a sudden I'm a photographer photographing my mentor and it's on his next album. Like yes. it's, really, it's really incredible. But um, I, I've got a, a tour, a tour thing I do in New York. It's called the A-Train Jazz Tours. And it was just an idea because of meeting up with Ben, that guitarist who took me out to these little clubs. And then I, the next trip there I went and saw a, an amazing guitar player, Wayne Krantz, who's one of the reasons why I had to move there because... I go every week and see him and I just feel injected with this power of Wayne. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I, met, I met him and I met somebody at his gig that was a really full-on jazz freak and he showed me all these other places and I went, this is wild. I can't imagine people walking in from Australia or, or anywhere else in the world and finding these places. So I set up, I was setting up this website to do this myself is maybe this could be a viable little business for me to do and I'm passionate about it. I want people to get that sense of, holy hell, what are they playing? This yeah. is so weird. It's not like normal um, traditional jazz. It's, you know, it's mixed between heavy metal and jazz and oh, a, so fusion a, fusion of, sort of, yeah, it's right. a fusion of all this wild pop stuff and then this, it's, Really, there's a lot of cool stuff going on there that you will not find if you just walk in and Google, I want to go to a jazz club. You'll end up at the Blue Note, like packed into a sardine can with all the other tourists. So, sorry, Blue Note, it's a great club. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but, um, but it's nice to find those off-the-wall yeah. things that you wouldn't normally find. Yeah. So setting that up, I really wanted to have photographs of some of these people mm -hmm. that I go and see. I didn't, want it, I didn't want to set up the jazz tours and put Miles Davis up there and get stock standard photos. I wanted it to represent. And I, I didn't have a camera. I just had an iPhone. I hadn't been photographing people for years. I'd done some stuff at my school and school concerts, but I no longer had the camera. Um, and I went, oh. So I met this woman who, was, who is an incredible jazz photographer. She does the Newport Jazz Festival and she works behind a bar in a little jazz club I go to. But, you know, it's the same thing. She's an artist, she's a photographer, but she's got to earn money another way. And she had this incredible website filled with all these people. And I contacted her and said, can I buy some photos of you for my website? This is what I'm doing. Anyway, she wouldn't write back to me. Couldn't get her. I'd see her every week at the Wayne gig and she'd go, oh, sorry, sorry I didn't write back to you, doll. I'll, I'll get around it. I'm like, yeah, but don't you want to earn some money? And in the end, she just didn't contact me and I thought, this is really weird. So I bought myself a camera, um, a beautiful little Olympus Pen F. Um, and I, it's a tiny little mirrorless camera. It looks like a film camera. Oh, right, it looks yeah. retro. It's really cute. And everyone asks me about it. And I thought, oh, I'll just start taking photos. And I didn't know what sort of lens to get because all the bars are really dark. And anyway, I asked a few questions and I went back with the camera on my next trip and I started snap, snap, snap. And she noticed me with the camera, this girl. And since then we've become quite good friends and she'll grab me sometimes and she'll, she'll say, come over here. Come over here. Now bend down. Now, no, 
Now, what aperture have you got? You know, so I'm not doing a very good New York accent. Anyway, and she started to mentor me, which was amazing. And she said, I'm so glad to see you with a camera. This is what I wanted. Ah. I want to see more women photographers out there. And she said, this is what I wanted. So I'm hoping that when I get back, we're going to go out and have a night just together. Because I still feel like I don't know exactly what I'm doing, mm -hmm. but I love photographing musicians. And that has also been a way into the scene for me. Definitely. Because yeah. most people think, see me as a photographer. They think that's what I do. Oh, here's Tracy, the photographer. In fact, some young drummer introduced me to his friend saying, when I... I was in a club and the gig finished. He went, oh, hi. And he says, oh, this is Tracy. She's like the hottest jazz photographer in New York. And I'm standing there, right, well, maybe out of 700 photos, four of them aren't blurry, but never mind, you know, like. <laughs> but I'll take that. But it, it was really, it, it's yeah. really cool. And so I, I end up, you know, I've got an Instagram. That's what the beauty of um, this social media is, like, because my Instagram is just about other musicians and those photographs I take. And you, you can, um, you know, tag them and then they see your photos. And I've actually got professional photography work through that. I've had oh. musicians ask me to come to their gigs and film them. I, I do a lot of filmography as well. So come do you think it helps being a musician, photographing musicians? I think so. Yeah. I think you just, you don't, you, you capture different moments. Mm. And that's what, a, that's what a lot of other photographers have said to me. They've gone, it doesn't matter that you don't have to study this. They've said, you, can, you know how to, you know what, you, what to capture. It's, um, you know, you're not looking for, you're not looking at the musician when they're taking their really amazing solo and photographing them then. You're taking them when they're... So maybe those in-between moments. Yeah. When it's a little and bit And that's what I'm looking for. So I'm getting... looking for when they when they actually pause for a minute, yeah. you know, to get and those... And so you probably know where the performance is going. Yeah. So you can get those in-between moments yeah. that most people wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't know or see coming up. And that the thing I really love about photographing musicians, especially these guys that I follow, is they're in their truth when they're playing and there's no pretense in those photos. It's... They're not staged or posed or in any way. So they're almost quite naked, like raw. They're, yeah, that's a good word for it. They're yeah. naked and they're lost in what they're doing. And you can't, it's hard to get that in a photo shoot. Because they're there for the photo shoot. Yeah. And that's what they're there for. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and a lot of them really, they really like me. Like everyone knows me and they call me by name when I come in. And I always apologise and say, because I never use a flash. You know, that's the work, that's, you know, you, you can't do that in a gig. But a lot of people do. They come in, you know, with their big cameras with flashes on. And a lot of these musicians say to me, oh, we, you know, I say, I'm sorry, I'm in your face, you know. I'm in your face. with the They go, don't even notice you're there. Don't even know you're there. You know, keep doing what you're doing. It's really great. You know, so I've sort of developed this whole other side to my life. Like, that's why I feel like I've been reborn there. It's... Mm. All these other things have emerged. Yeah, so lots of things have opened up. Yeah. Yeah. And I and started photography parts. at Tari High School. Let's get back to the valley. Like, I studied that at school, photography, and with a film camera, and I used to oh. love it. So, so it's Alan Small. Yeah. Used to go, and he's still it's there. really amazing. He's, yeah. he's still there. And, I mean, I was there last week doing 
getting some things done and getting my camera serviced mm -hmm. because I thought, I'll go in and see them. I mean, I used to go there on my way to school and buy the photo paper and get some film and talk to him about photography and it's like this really amazing memory of that's where that started as well. Yeah. It was here. So those basic lessons then have just led you through. And the, um, the record shop. Remember the record shop in Centrepoint? Berrigan's. Berrigan's. What was his name? Oh, my sister would know it. Bob Berrigan. Not Bob Berrigan. No. Well, Bob was a great yes. influence here, but, but the guy that had the record store, it was in Larry the... Bill. Larry Larry, thanks. And I'd go in there on my way to school, yes. and the latest, I remember buying Hegera, Joni Mitchell's mm -hmm. latest album, he had it playing, and it was like, there was this cover of this woman roller, uh, ice skating across this field in a long black cape with like this coyote off in the distance and this I remember the picture of it going, oh, what's this? And on there is Jaco Pistorius, the bass player, playing with her on that album and it was the first time I heard that kind of bass playing, you know. And now Jaco passed away in the 90s. Well, you know, he was killed outside a nightclub in New York by a bouncer but he started this whole bass, this whole modern bass scene of all the players that are in New York. I can tell you Jaco was the father of it. His son lives in New York and... I know him. Like wow. I go to his gigs and photograph and him, and we back. talk. And you, know. you can relate that. Back yeah, I can relate that right back to Larry Belton and hearing this sound, this mm. totally different bass sound. Like my, you know, I was awakened to different music. Um, Keith Jarrett, just all these things. I bought these albums in that music store on my way to school or on my way home. Or you know, Dad hadn't let us have an an account. You could have accounts in Tari and just. Oh, can I put I that on the account? Yep. Or oh, Johnny Mitchell. Oh, my God. Oh, you know, Keith Jarrett and you know, Chick Corea, all these things, yeah. all this stuff. Yeah. And you used to you used to go there before or after school and you'd yeah. go through the records. Yeah. And they'd let you play them. Yeah. Play a little bit. Play yeah. 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 So what... I can actually remember... It's not like that now for kids. ...walking into your mum's shop and there was something playing. And I'm like, oh, who's that? And it was just that tweaking to new music. And it was yeah. Michael Franks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when my baby cooks her eggplant. Yeah. <laughs> so immediately went round to the record shop and bought two records. Yeah. Yeah. I gave Michael Franks to mum. Oh, did you? Yeah. There you go. I, well, got thank you, I got really into him at the first year of the conservatorium. Oh, did you? Yeah, because a girl I met there, one of my friends that I made, was into Michael Franks and I hadn't heard him. Oh. I was like, oh, this is cool yeah. and smooth and, you know. So, yeah, it's that, um, it was, you know, the place, the place I grew up introduced, it was the found, you know, the foundation for all mm. of these different things. And there's people that you can pin it to. And so you can relate the relate things back when you think about it to yeah, absolutely. all those sort of things. You can pin it to having a, a to growing up in a place like this. And that that's just, you know, those things like music and photography, but you know, it's such a great place to grow up. <laughs> such a and lifestyle. In that time as well. Yeah. 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 Well Tracy, I wanna thank you. Oh, for talking to us It's today. lovely to sit and talk about it, especially at this time in my life where Dad's just left. It's really nice to sit and... And reflect of, on Yeah, it. reflect and, and relate that whole reflection of being a child here into what I'm doing right now so far away, mm. you know. And the, the 
that really does push through into what we are today or, you know, it does. Do. The valley makes you. It does. <laughs> it's quite a remarkable place. It is. It really is. It is. Thank you, Tracy. Pleasure. Thank you. This has been part of the series, Tales of the Valley, the wonderful stories and personalities of the Manning Valley. Until next time, I'm Cynthia. <laughs>